Well, good morning to you. Isn't that a fascinating story? Fascinating person. Um, I was just really interested in uh, what this what this uh, officer does, and it got me thinking a lot about about my life and um, and what it is that we do. One of the things that I appreciate about about somebody like that is is that he's he's a very focused individual. Um, this highway patrolman for 22 years, he was given a very focused area. You know, the the two miles or so, the two mile stretch of the Golden Gate Bridge, and he just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Spent most of his time patrolling the Golden Gate Bridge, and all he really did was uh, was look for people. Uh, he looked for people who who needed help, um, and then he had a very specific way of approaching them, and he had a plan. He had a strategy. And his plan and his strategy, his goal really of his job, his mission was to, to simply rescue people. I'm out here to rescue people. I'm out here to help people. I'm out here to save people, to keep them from hurting themselves. That's, that's essentially what his mission was. That's what gave him the drive he needed to get to work every day. That's what he got up to do. That, that's the one thing that mattered most to him was, was rescuing people. And as you, as you heard or, or saw, he's rescued hundreds of people from uh, throwing their life off of that bridge. You know, what an awesome uh, way to spend your life. But, but difficult too, I'm sure. And as I watched that video, and one of the things that probably stood out to me the most was uh, when his colleague had asked, you know, the one guy who decided to come over after seven or eight hours of talking, you know, what was it that made you decide finally after all those hours to come back over and he just said Kevin wouldn't give up he wouldn't give up and I I love that and that caused me to ask some questions about myself questions like where am I sent to patrol what's the one thing that I'm supposed to be doing am I looking out for people every day who need to be rescued am I ever unwilling to let someone go? Am I that tenacious with people who I talk to? Would I be willing to give up on someone who God sent me to? Those are the kind of questions that I think about when I see a person or hear about a person like that. And so um, so today, well, and, and over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to focus as a church together on what it means to be sent. What, it, what does it mean to be to be sent. In case you didn't know, we as a church, we believe that we're sent. We believe that God has given us a mission and he's given us a plan and and a strategy to accomplish that mission. God has actually given us something to do, one very specific thing to do, and he's told us how to do it. And it's really simple. And I'm just going to be sharing that with you over the next few weeks. We're actually here. We don't don't just come here every Sunday and just kind of wing it. Uh, and, and hope that God works and hope that God moves. God has actually told us in his word what we're supposed to be doing, what we should be focusing on. There's really one thing that we're supposed to be focusing on. And I know that's hard to, that's hard to get your mind around, you know, because there's so many things in the Bible that God tells us to do. And it doesn't even sound right to say that there's one thing. I mean, can we really put that fine a point on it? And I think we can. 
I think we actually can say there's really just one thing that God's told us to do, and he's actually told us how, how we can do it. And, and, and so we have an approach, and we have a focus. We should have a focus as a church. We shouldn't try to be doing everything. We should really be focusing on one primary thing. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks starting today. And um, to get to the point where we, where we can say, this is the one thing that we're supposed to be doing, we have to start by saying and understanding that we are sent. We are actually sent by God. That's a reality about us. That's true. It's a reality that's talked about all over the scripture from Genesis to Revelation and, it's yet, and yet it's overlooked all the time. It's so obvious and yet it's so often overlooked that we are actually sent out by God as his people to do something. So let's talk about that for a couple minutes, this idea that we're sent. Okay, we see this um, all over the Bible. We're just going to look at a couple places in particular. In John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus said to his disciples, or he actually said, he, he was praying to his father, um, and he, this is what he prayed in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Okay, he's, talking, he's praying about his disciples there. And then just a, a few chapters later in John chapter 20, this is after Jesus had been crucified and raised from the dead. He visits his disciples In John chapter 20, and this is what he says, beginning in verse 19. This is what we read. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. In other words, they're seeing Jesus. They almost can't believe that it's true. Well, they finally get it. This is actually Jesus, and they're filled with joy. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Hey, there it is again. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's, there's quite a few places in the New Testament, in, in the Gospels in particular, where the disciples are afraid. They're, they're, uh, they're afraid of storms, they're afraid of people, they're afraid of ghosts, we're told at one point. They're afraid of, uh, of what Jesus might say to them. They're afraid of asking Jesus certain questions. They're afraid of uh, the, the religious authorities now here in, in John 20. They're afraid of the Jewish leaders because just a couple days earlier, the religious authorities had executed their leader, Jesus. They had executed him, so they've locked themselves in this room and isolated themselves because of fear. They are not bold. They are not interested in sharing their faith with anybody. Until Jesus shows up. And, and Jesus confronts their fears. And he confronts our fears. When we're afraid to share our faith with people. He confronts our fears with what? Peace. He says, peace be with you. Here's my peace. And he doesn't send you without peace. He sends you with peace. He sends us out with Peace, not fear. Peace. In Romans 10, verses 13 to 15, we read about this again. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the church here. And this is what we read in Romans chapter 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear 
without someone preaching. And how are they to preach? Unless they are sent. Unless they're sent. So you see, there's this developing story here. And it started all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, God said to Adam and Eve, who he created in his image, he said, you, my creation, my image bearers, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth, fill the whole earth and subdue it. In my name, for my glory, as my image bearers. And and as you know, uh, that was a good plan that God had. As you know, uh, Adam and Eve and, and people in general, they rejected God's plan. They rejected God's word. And they decided that we don't need God to be happy. We're going to go our own way. We're going to do our own thing. And because of that, sin entered the world and separated people from God. So that now people no longer know God as they're meant to. They don't feel peace with God. They don't feel near God. They don't feel close to God. They feel guilty when they think about God. They feel like maybe there is no God. And if there is a God, he probably doesn't know me. He probably doesn't like me. Maybe he's angry with me. And so there's this huge distance between people and God. And so what did God do? Did he change the plan? No, he didn't. God didn't change the plan. Because all along, from before he even created the world, he had sent he had planned to send a Redeemer. And that's exactly what he did. God saved the world by sending. By sending his son, Jesus, as his perfect represent, representative to close the distance between us and God. To remove our guilt, to remove our shame, to remove our sin, to remove the consequences of our sin, our punishment. To take our place, to pay our debt, the debt that we could never pay. So that we can know God and and love God and follow God. And so that's what Jesus did. He took our place on the cross, became our substitute. He rose from the dead and then before he ascends back, before he goes back to the Father, he says to his disciples and he says to us, now I'm sending you. Now I'm sending you. That's the plan. And so, without this sending, if God didn't send people to people, if God didn't send his people to other people, there would be no multiplying. There would, the gospel would stop. There would be no sharing of good news with people. There would be no hope anymore. Because without God sending people to people, there's no preaching the gospel. There's no hearing the gospel. There's no believing it there's no believing in god there's no calling out to god there's no following god it all goes back to sending that's a a big part of the story so do you know what this means you know here's what it means it means that wherever you are if you follow god wherever you live wherever you work wherever you vacation wherever you eat wherever you run or ride Wherever you go, you're sent. That's what it means. You're sent by God. And unfortunately, most of the Christians, I, most Christians that I talk to, or many Christians who I talk to, they don't have this perspective. 
They don't hold this perspective about where they live or where they work or where they eat or where they, you know, where they spend their time. And so here's, here's basically um, some alternative. I want to share with you some alternative perspectives that we hold that are different than, than thinking about being sent. So one is uh, we chose to live here. We chose to buy this house. We looked around. We looked at all these different houses and how big they were, how much work they needed, if, they were, if we could make the financing work, what the neighborhood was like, what the schools were like. And, so, and we chose this house to live or this apartment or whatever because it was the best fit for us. That's, that's one way to look at it. But that's not, that's not what God says about where you live. God says you're sent there. He says, I've sent you there. Another perspective is um, we're here because it's a great place to raise a family. We chose this place because it's a great place to raise a family. It's safe. It's secure. Uh, the, the schools are good. Um, you know, a lot of the people who live in these neighborhoods are like us. Right? Maybe people would, might say, you know, we're here to enjoy the good life. I'm here to make money. I'm here to relax. I'm here to get away from the city. Or I'm here to be part of the city. <laughs> we know everyone's got their own preferences. We're here for peace and quiet and comfort and security or action and energy, whatever it is. How about we're here because God's punishing us? Have you ever thought about, have you ever thought that way? We're in this apartment, I'm in this apartment now, or I'm in this house now because God's disciplining me or he's punishing me, or I'm at this job now because God's angry with me and he's getting back at me for what I did at my last job. Have you ever thought like that before? But God says, no, 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 no. That's not why you're there. That's not why you're here. You're here because I've sent you here. When the Israelites were taken captive by the Babylonians, in uh, the book of Jeremiah talks about this. Uh, This has happened centuries ago. And they were in exile for 70 years. And they weren't happy about it. You wouldn't be either. Taken from your homeland, your, you know, your people have been devastated. You've, you've lost almost everything. A lot of people did survive. A lot of the Jews survived. Not even the majority. And they're taken captive to a huge metropolis, an eclectic city. And they thought they were there because God was punishing them until God delivered a message to them through the prophet, Jeremiah, saying, you're here because I sent you here. And I've sent you here to settle down, to settle in, to move into the city and multiply. This is just this, the same plan from the beginning. I have a friend who um, is an amazing guy. He's, he loves talking to people. He loves getting to know people. He's got tons of energy. He talks about Jesus to just about everyone he meets. He just loves Jesus so much that he talks about him a lot. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> it should. And so he talks to people all the time about Jesus. And he told me a story once about how he went to Kinko's to make copies. And he led two guys to the Lord at Kinko's. He just started talking to them about Jesus and they started confessing to him. Uh, and, and he led them in prayer right there. And they're following Jesus now. I'm like, that's just weird. How did that happen? And I'll, I'll tell you how it happens. Because when he goes to Kinko's, he doesn't say, I'm just here to make copies. He goes into Kinko's thinking, I'm sent here. I'm sent here to do something. God has sent me here 
for a purpose. It's not just to make copies. If all he's thinking is, I'm here to make copies, that never would have happened. None of that would have happened. So this is a mindset. It's a perspective that we've got to fight for as God's people. And it's very real. It's with us every day. So for me, for my wife and I, our family, we used to, we've been in our neighborhood for, almost, for nine years now. We've, we moved there. We didn't, when we moved there, we didn't have this mentality. Now we do. We know that we're sent there. So we are very intentional with our neighbors. We know that God has sent us there to rescue people from their sin. We know that. And so that's what we focus on, on our street. Those, six, those uh, 14 houses on our street. That's what we're there for. That's the one thing that matters, really. Otherwise, we could just live wherever we want. That's what matters. When I think about my kids' school, our kids go to a public elementary school in our city. They don't, we, don't just send, we, we don't just send them to school there because we pay taxes. We believe that God has sent our kids there. We believe that God has sent our family there to do something. One thing in particular. I coach one of my kids' soccer teams. I don't just do it because I like soccer or because I like teaching uh, 10-year-old girls how to play soccer. I do it because I believe, I mean, of course, I do enjoy it and all of that, but I actually believe that God has sent me as a coach to focus on one primary thing while I'm there, to look for opportunities to do one thing. I believe I'm sent. As a coach. And I believe, by the way, that we're here at this school, in this city, because God has sent us here. Do you believe that? If you do, it changes things. It changes your focus. So, we'll just sum this up by saying, wherever you are, that's where you're sent. That's where you're sent. So, what is it that you're sent to do? What is the one thing that we're supposed to be doing? What is that? Let's talk about that for a few minutes. And I'll just tell you what it is. I won't leave you in suspense anymore in case you don't know. (laughs) We are sent to focus on one thing. The making of disciples. That's it. We're sent to make disciples of Jesus. That's the one thing that we're supposed to be doing wherever we are. All right? Let's, uh, if you don't believe me, um, let's, let's look at the Bible with what uh, Jesus said about this. In Matthew chapter 28, there's a few places where Jesus gives us this sort of mission statement in the Gospels and other places in the book of Acts, beginning of the book of Acts. But we're going to read this one because Matthew's account of Jesus, uh, this is called the Great Commission. I love how Osmar talked about it. Uh, was that last week? He was here last week. Seems like so long ago. It's not the great suggestion, right? It's the great, we call it a commission. And this is, uh, Matthew's description of it is unique and definitive. That's what I love about it. So let's read it, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Let's just read verse 18 to 20. And Jesus, this is right before Jesus ascended, okay? He's been with the disciples for over three years now. And this is, these are his final words to his disciples. That's what Matthew's recording for us. And I do believe that while all of Jesus' words matter, 
and all of Jesus' words carry eternal weight, these words are especially important because they're his last words. A person's last words are important. So what he says is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, which means all kinds of people, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, those are Jesus' last words to, to his disciples. And I want to point something out here. Disciples, you know, I, I, if I tell you, okay, you're, the one thing you should be focusing on in life is make disciples. You probably have heard that before if you're a Christian, if you've been coming to church for a while. But do you know what it means? Let's talk about what it means, okay? Disciples, according to this passage, are people, this is a very, this is just my way of summing this up. It's a very simple definition. It's people who identify with and obey Jesus. According to this passage, a disciple is a person who identifies with and obeys Jesus. And the reason I say it like that is because the first thing Jesus says after making, what, making disciples is he qualifies it. He says, you're going to baptize them. And baptism is an identity issue. Baptism is a public act whereby some person is immersed into water and they're brought back out of the water. Why do we do that? Because we're identifying with Jesus. When we put somebody under the water, we're saying, you are washed clean of your sin. We're cleansing you of your sin. Your whole existence is stained by sin, so we're going to put you all the way down under the water. Okay? You've been, Paul says in Romans 6 that that represents you being crucified with Jesus. Jesus was cleansing you on the cross by taking your sin on himself. Your, the wrath of God on himself towards your sin. That's what the baptism represents. And you're coming up out of the water. You're raised with him to new life. You are a new creation now. You have a new name, a whole new identity. That's what it is to be baptized. You're saying, you're saying when you're baptized, you never even speak a word. You're saying to the people watching that I used to be part of this kingdom, but now I'm part of this kingdom. I used to be living in total darkness, but now I'm living and walking in the light. I used to belong to the world and to Satan. And I used to be a slave to my sin. But now I belong to God. I've been adopted into his family. I've been completely remade. I'm a new person. That's what you're saying. Baptism says all of that. And that's what it means to be a disciple. It means your whole life points back to your recreation. Your whole life points back to when when God made all things new and he's still making all things new in your life he's working every day to conform you into that new identity so that's the first thing that the being a disciple means it means you're no longer identified with the world you're no longer identified with your sin you're identified with your savior and then secondly disciple simply means a learner a on our men's retreat this last weekend, Stuart Briscoe did a brilliant job of explaining this. He's talking about disciple. The word literally means that a, someone who learned, a learner, a lifelong learner who follows a teacher. It implies a relationship. It implies closeness and intimacy. Or you know each other very well. And you're learning, uh, in particular, 
in a, in, in a group with other people who are learning what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, the definition that uh, Stuart Briscoe offered us, which he borrowed from um, Peter Drucker, he said a disciple is someone who has learned how to learn and never stops learning. A disciple is someone who's learned how to learn and they never stop learning. And that's a very interesting definition of what it means to follow Jesus, isn't it? And so, before what he's saying is that before you can become a lifelong learner, you have to actually learn how to learn. That's the, that's the tricky part. Well, how do you learn how to learn? How do you do that? You know, how do people learn something? Have you ever thought about that? How, does some, how do people learn something? Is it simply by hearing it? Can people simply learn something merely by gathering information or by hearing something? Well, the Bible offers a practical answer to that question in a couple different places. I'm going to read to you Mark chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus talked about what it means to learn. He said this. I have the Hebrews verse up there first, don't I? Oh, thanks, Melissa. Uh, (laughs) Pay attention to what you hear. Okay? She talks about the hearing first. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. So according to Jesus, it's not, hearing is not enough. For you to really learn something, you've got to use it. You've got to use what you've heard. Okay? And then Hebrews chapter 5, I love this definition of what it means to learn and be mature. The author's talking about, he's comparing immature Christians with mature Christians, basically. And he sums it up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 14. Um, that's not right. Hebrews five fourteen. Thank you. Hebrews five fourteen. he sums it up. He says, but solid food is for the mature. And food is a metaphor, of course. He's talking about teaching and learning. That's what he's talking about. Solid teaching is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant hearing. Oops. <laughs> no. By constant practice. By constant practice to distinguish good and evil. Okay, so according to God, people learn by doing. I mean, that's it's so simple. We learn by doing. I am a person who and you are too, who understands this. I, I am not a mechanically inclined person, but I want to learn how to be. I want to learn how to fix my car. I do. For a lot of reasons. A lot of good reasons. And so I have to learn how to do that. And for me, the best way to learn how to do that is not reading a, a manual. Maybe for some of you, it would that would work. But I have to actually see someone do it. So um, I, have a, I have a friend who um, has been willing to take me uh, under his wing and, and to kind of show me the ropes when it comes to cars. And over the summer, we changed all the brakes on both of my cars. First time I've ever done that or tried doing it. And at first, he, we kind of walked through the process together. We were at his house. We put everything up on the, on the jacks and everything. And he showed me how to do it. And then he showed me the next, the next break. You know, the rotors, the, 
Um, this is how you take the calipers off and the pads off and the brackets. I mean, it's a lot more sophisticated than I imagined it would be. And so I watched him do it, and then he's like, all right, why don't you do the next one? Now, if I had just watched him do all four wheels and someone came up to me the next day and said, hey, do you know how to fix brakes? I would have said no. You know why? Because I've never done it. <laughs> I've never done it. I know that you're supposed to do this and then this. Oh, wait a minute. Was it that first? I don't remember. But I actually started doing a wheel. And then, you know, I did it wrong, of course. And then I had to go back and do it again. And, and now, I, now I can say, I think I know how to do it. I think next time I'll be able to do it. I think. But there's no way I would learn that unless I actually did it and practiced it and, and worked on it over and over and over again. Because that's how you learn. People learn by practice, by habit, and by use. So let me ask you, how is it that a person learns how to forgive others? Do you learn how to forgive people who sin against you by simply hearing Jesus tell you, you need to forgive those who sin against you, and then believing that he's right? Have you learned forgiveness? No, you haven't. You learn how to forgive people by forgiving people who've sinned against you. You learn how to serve people by serving people. You learn generosity by giving your stuff away. You don't learn generosity by hearing Jesus say, give away everything you have, or give away, you know, or by hearing Jesus say, be generous. You haven't learned generosity. If you told, if you told me, I'm a generous person, And I said, well, how do you know that? Well, because Jesus said he's taught us to be generous, and I think he's right. I'd be like, that's it? (laughs) I'm sorry, that doesn't really make you generous. I don't think you'd argue with me. You don't become a generous person until you've actually practiced giving so much away of what you thought was yours until you feel it, until you have to change your lifestyle somehow until it's until it's a sacrifice that's how you learn generosity once you've practiced it for a while then maybe you can talk about being a generous person you learn by doing how do you learn humility did jesus just say be humble oh okay i can do that it doesn't work that way it just doesn't work that way and by the way jesus didn't just say be humble What he said was, if you want to be great, you have to think of yourself as the lowest person. You've got to think of, you've got to think like that. You've got to make a habit of thinking like that. And then you have to actually serve the people around you. You've, you you know, in Jesus, he showed, he washed his disciples' feet. That's how he taught. He taught by doing. Isn't that awesome? That's what he did. It's how he lived. If Jesus would have just walked around teaching his disciples without doing anything, they wouldn't have got it. They would never have gotten it. And so what you have to do if you want to learn humility is you actually have to honor other people regularly. You actually have to talk about other people as if they're better than you. You have to practice that, and then you have to serve them, and then you have to take all the attention that's put on you and put it on them. And it has to become a habit And then you're going to start learning humility. That's how it works. That's how you learn things. That's what it means to be a disciple. So Jesus, what he's saying, 
is that your primary, our primary focus in life should be to make disciples who are, what he's saying is we need to be taking people who are far from God, who aren't even sure if God exists, and turning them into people who are sure that God exists and who love God and who want to know everything there is to know about God and who want to obey everything that God has said. That's what, he sa- that's what he's saying when he says make disciples. I want you to go out to people, wherever you, wherever you are, I want you to notice people and look for people who have no relationship with me at all. Maybe they don't even want one. They're totally far from me, completely distant from, because of their sin. And I want you to, to, as you encounter those people, to invite them to identify with me, to learn from me, to hunger for me, to follow after me, and to obey every command I've, I've given. Wow. Well, you know, when you think about it like that, it sounds impossible, doesn't it? It, it just sounds like an impossible mission. Because I actually know people who are far from God. Don't you? You know people who are far from God. They, they seem so far from God that you can't even imagine what it would be like to see them worshiping God with their whole heart. Can you even picture that? Do you even try to? How weird does that look to you when you try to picture that? Picture somebody in your mind who you know is so far from God, who is pretty sure God doesn't exist, and if he did, he wants nothing to do with them. Now try to picture them as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ who is just thirsty to know him and thirsty to obey, just wants to obey him and surrender their whole life to him. Can you do it? Can you picture that? Because that, that's, that's it. That's the one thing we should be, that's the one thing that we should be fixed on. That's the, that's the thing we should be daydreaming about. That's the thing we should be imagining. What, it, what would it be like for that person to be a disciple? Oh, that should excite us. You know, that, that should really, really excite us. I mean, just this last weekend, I was reminded of how possible this is. As I'm watching men, I, I was sitting in the back one of the sessions, and I was watching some of the men in our, on our men's retreat this last weekend. And I was thinking about some of these guys. Okay, here's a guy two years ago wanted nothing to do with God. Nothing at all. Had no interest in God. Didn't even believe in God. Was a total skeptic. And now, he's just thirsty. He's, he's hanging on every word Stuart Briscoe is saying. He's going back and buying the books. He's talking to everybody about, hey, what did you think when he said that? He's asking Stuart Briscoe questions. He's, he's a disciple. He's, a, he's identified with Christ now. I heard him pray for the first time this weekend, this guy. It just amazes me that God does this with people. I've seen it so many times. Osmar talked about it last week with students and their families. You know, just one day they're totally far from God, want nothing to do with God, have no idea who God is or what he wants with their life, and then a few months later they're being baptized. And they're following Jesus. That's the one thing that matters to us. And we never stop learning. We never stop growing. We never stop hungering for God. 
if we're disciples, if we're real disciples. That's what we're told. This, just yesterday, I told you before, I coached my daughter's soccer team, which is an adventure every year. I've always got stories to share about when, when I do this. And just yesterday, I had a really strange encounter with one of the moms of a girl on my team. It just got me thinking about stuff, like what's going on in their family? It's, something's not right. You know, you ever feel like that? You have a conversation with someone, or they say something, and you're like, that's odd. Something must not be right. So... Um, later on, uh, I texted this, this mom and I just said, Hey, I just want you to know how much I love coaching your daughter. And this is why I just love, I just love your daughter. She's, she's great. I've been coaching, you know, some of these girls for years, you know, she texted back and she's like, Oh, thank you so much. That really made my day. Um, you know, it really, I really needed to hear that. You know, we've been going through some stuff at home. She, so she Starts talking, I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm really sorry to hear that. Is everything okay? And it turns out, you know, they're going through, she's going through a divorce. She's going through a divorce. And, and, and now it's like, oh. And, and this girl, I'm thinking about this girl. And her, she's, I think she's an only child. She's going, her parents, her, her world is falling apart. A 10-year-old girl, you know. And when I have conversations or exchanges like that with people, it reminds me what I'm here for. It reminds me that I am not a co- I'm not first a coach to this girl. I am a disciple, and I've been sent to her and her family to point them to Jesus, to the hope of Jesus. That's the only hope that they have that matters. That's the one thing I'm focused on now with them. That's the one thing I care about. I don't care how she plays the rest of the year. I really don't. I'm going to be praying for her. I'm going to be praying for her family. And I, because I know that it's possible for God, because of who he is, to take that family and completely redeem it. And I believe he wants to do it. And I believe he sent me to them. I might be the only witness to Jesus Christ that they know in their life. So that's now my focus. And that's what our focus needs to be with everybody. With everybody. Because that's the one thing that matters. Um, And we're not alone. Okay, we're sent to make disciples with Jesus. With Jesus. So we're given two assurances in this passage. We're just going to go over them really briefly. In uh, Matthew 28, Jesus said, right before he sends his disciples, right before he says, go. Notice what he says in verse... uh, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. In other words, Jesus' authority is what leads to the sending. So all authority, Jesus has all the authority in the world, in the universe. Nobody has more authority than than Jesus. God's given it all to him as his representative. So that means that Jesus has authority over you. And Jesus can do with you whatever he wants to. He can do with your life whatever he chooses to do. And do you know what he's chosen to do with his authority over you? He's chosen to send you. That's what he's doing. He's using his authority to take people out from under the rule of sin and death. And he's going to bring, he wants to bring them under his rule and his authority. And he's doing it today. 
He's doing it every day. That's his mission. And how does Jesus do it? How does Jesus accomplish redemption in the lives of people? He does it through us. He does it through his disciples. He does it through local churches. By sending us. You know, we gather here on Sundays. We, the church is gathered and scattered. We gather here to worship, to, to encourage, to fellowship, to, uh, to, um, to pray, to, to hear, to listen, to learn. But then, most of the rest of our world is, is sent. We're gathered for like an hour a week or a little more than that. You know? The rest of the week we're sent. That's it. Gathered, sent. Gathered, sent. And Jesus has the authority to do it. And that's what he's using his authority to do. And then he says, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Do you know, you ever think about this? Why did, the end of the age, by the way, means the end of time, the end of history. When history is over and the new age comes with Jesus as king, ruling over his creation, in power, in, in pre, you know, total presence, in glory, he knew the disciples weren't going to be there until the end of the age. Why is he telling the disciples, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age? Because he's talking about us, too. He has us in mind. He's saying, I'm going to be with all my disciples to the end of the age to do that one thing, to do the one thing I've asked you to do, the one thing I've called you to do, make disciples. And that is radical, by the way. We are sent to do the most radical thing in the most ordinary ways. Making disciples is radical. Inviting people to follow Jesus is the most radical invitation there is because what you're asking them to do is to change allegiances. You're asking them to change kingdoms. You're asking them to change their identity. That's what you're telling people to do when you're telling them about Jesus. And that's radical because there's no part of their life that won't be affected by following Jesus. No part. No relationship. No job. No decision. All of it belongs to Jesus. He has the authority. And even though this is so radical, <laughs> the way we do it is usually very ordinary. Think about uh, Sergeant Briggs, who we watched the video at the start here. That guy, I don't know if he knows Jesus, but he's doing something pretty radical. He's rescuing people from taking their own life. How is he doing it? Is he holding a gun to their head? No. Is he using his physical prowess and, and, and training? No. Is he use, does he use a grappling hook? No. He talks to people. That's all he does. The California uh, State Highway Patrol has sent, they sent Sergeant Briggs for 22 years to patrol that bridge to rescue people by simply talking to them. That's all he did. That's all he's ever done is talk to people. I can't think of a more ordinary way to rescue people. And, and I want you to know that that's where the plan starts for us. In fact, if you have your pamphlet, you're, some of you are fanning your, yourselves with the pamphlet right now. Just take a break and look at the back, okay? On the back it says, uh, our plan according to his plan or something of that effect. This is, our, this is what we call the five eyes. This is our strategy for making disciples in West Dallas. I want you to look at the first one. It says, initiate a conversation. That's it. That's where we start. We initiate contact with people by talking to them. That's what we do. Okay? There's a...
passage in Colossians, this is so, is this revolutionary or what? There's a passage in Colossians where the Apostle Paul is talking to the churches there about being a witness to people who are far from God. He says in verse 5, Colossians 4 verse 5, this is what he's telling everyone in the churches to do. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So this is really simple. What Paul's saying is this. As a sent one, you, as a sent one, as a disciple of Jesus, as a disciple maker, the best use of your your time is to focus on how you live towards and talk to outsiders. That's what he's saying. And how should we do this? How should we live and how should we, we talk? Uh, the ESV Study Bible. That's this big three-pound Bible I have up here. They have a great note on this. This is, this is what, what it says. This is their take. When applied to conversation, the salt metaphor suggests speaking in an interesting, stimulating, and wise way. That's what Paul's getting at there. And Paul's comments assume that the Colossian believers are vitally involved in the local community and have ample opportunities to interact with outsiders in a way that would commend the gospel to them. I think that's so well said. I mean, God just assumes that we're going to be vitally connected to our community. And that we're regularly talking to outsiders. And you might wonder, how do I do that? How do I start a conversation with somebody? How do I I broach the subject of God with someone? It always just feels awkward and weird. And and here's here's why, I think. Uh, And this might hurt a little bit. Because it hurts me when I think about it in relationship to me. You don't, I don't think you have to be told how to do it. I really don't. I don't think I have to. There's any kind of special skill involved. I don't think you need any special kind of training. I don't think you need to take a class. I don't think you need a particular strategy. What I think you need is focus. I don't think you need a strategy to do this. Because, and, and here's why. Because I don't have to tell you how to talk about people you love. I don't have to tell you how to talk about the things you're passionate about. I don't have to tell you how to talk about um, the, the packers or the brewers. I don't have to tell you how to talk about your new car or your new bike or your new whatever. I don't have to tell you to talk about the things that matter most to you. I, don't, I definitely don't have to tell you to talk about your, how to talk about your kids. You know how to do that. And I believe that if you love Jesus and you are excited about what Jesus has done in your life because the gospel has changed you, you will talk about it. And nobody has to tell you how. When you find the diet or exercise regimen that works for you, you talk to others about it. I know you do because it worked. So maybe the problem for us is not that we don't know how to do it. I think maybe the problem is we're just not impressed enough with Jesus anymore. Maybe we're just not that affectionate for him. <laughs> maybe, we, maybe he doesn't matter enough to us, you know? It, it might just be a passion problem for us. 
Because if we really loved him, if we really did, if we were really excited about what God is doing in the lives of people who are far from him, I believe we would talk about it. We would talk to people. We would just talk to them. And it starts with just simple conversations. How's it going? Is everything okay? You know, that's a, that's a question that I ask a lot now. I didn't used to ask it. You know why? Because, whoa, what if, they, what if it's not okay? What if they unload on me? And you know what I've discovered? That's a good thing. I actually want people to unload on me now. Because when I listen to people who have lost hope, you know what I, you know what I have? An opportunity. I'm given an open door to, to learn about them, to learn their story. Everybody has intrinsic value to God. Everybody. I have some, you know, and so just getting to know people has some value to it. But if I'm focused on making disciples, then I need to know about them. I need to. I need to know something about them to be able to, to invite them to follow Jesus. There's a, there's a relationship there that, that helps, you know? So that's all we're asking you to do. That's all. There's, there's actually a challenge that, I, that we've given you. And you know what? I'm going to save that for the end. That's what I'm going to do. So let me just close by saying this. Um, you don't have to live a radical life to make disciples. You don't. You don't have to go across to the other side of the world to do this. You don't have to sell everything you have. You don't. What you need is to live a focused life. You don't need to live a radical life. You need to live a focused life. You just have to talk to people and get to know them. And when the time is right, you just invite them to follow Jesus, to consider Jesus and who he is. God is making, or, he's making disciples every day through ordinary people like us doing ordinary things with a focus on the gospel and the power that the gospel has to rescue anybody that we're sent to. Let me pray. Thank you, God, that you've given us something to do and you've made it clear. And I thank you most of all that you're with us when we do it. I thank you, God, for your authority. I thank you for your, for your presence. And we ask, God, that as we go from here today, that you would change our focus, that you would remove the distractions that you would remove our focus from ourselves onto our Savior so that we can see who needs to be rescued, so that we are aware of the people around us and who they are and where they're going, so that we can, can start a conversation. And so we ask you, God, to move and to use us to do this totally radical and wonderful thing, turn people who are far from you into devoted followers of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. There's going to be a challenge every single week during this series. And the challenge today says, initiate a conversation and or friendship with someone far from God. Listen with gospel intentionality. We'll talk about more about that later in the series. Be gracious and interesting. Can you be interesting? Be unpredictable. And the reason you should be unpredictable is because when people know what you're going to say, they have no interest in it. <laughs> They've already lost their interest. If you know what someone, if you know exactly what someone's going to say or do, that's not exciting. So be interesting, be uh, unpredictable, and talk to people. And listen, this is, 
this actually is really important. And every week, what we challenge you to do, I promise you can do it. I, I promise that you can start a conversation with somebody. With focus. You can do it. I know it. Many of you are doing it. And next week, we're, gonna, we're actually going to give you something to make it even easier. We're going to give you all a bullhorn, and we're going to ask you to walk up and down. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. But we are going to give you something next week to make it really easy. And here's why it's important. Um, I just had a conversation recently with a neighbor of ours. Vicki and I were just talking to them. We walked over talking about their garden. And um, one thing led to another, and she started saying, yeah, we've been so busy lately. And, you know, school's starting, and we went here, and we're going there, and my mom's been sick, and blah, blah, blah. And I, was like, and I said, I said, oh, wait, wait a minute. Your mom's been sick? Is everything okay? And I could have just let her keep going. You know, that's what the normal me would do. Just, just let them keep going. Just let them go. Her mom's sick? I don't know what that means, but okay. But I actually asked her, is everything okay? That simple question, right? Is everything okay? And it wasn't. Turns out her mom is terminally ill, and she's uh, extremely close. They're, they're, her only daughter is extremely close to her mom, and she opened up to Vicky and I. Just opened her heart up to us. And it's like you know, that's the kind. That's why we listen to people, because we need to know where their hope is and where it's not. We need to know what matters to them and what doesn't, so that when we talk to them about Jesus. We know what we're, who we're talking to. We know what we're speaking to. We know how badly they need this, you know? So that's why listening is important. And that's all we're asking you to do. Just start a conversation and listen. And, and, and that's the first step. So thanks for coming.